going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. A couple of recent homicide cases in our city really bringing to light the issue of domestic violence. And so our next guest is going to really give us a, a bit of a snapshot, not only of what it says about what's happening in our city, but also some of the underlying tones. And beyond that are some of the, the tips for those of you who might think, I, I know that this relationship doesn't seem right as an example. Andrea Silverstone is with Sagres Calgary. Uh, Andrea, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you very much for having me on. What do you think these two cases uh, should be bringing to the forefront? So I think that the most important thing to recognize is that domestic violence is an epidemic in our society. The rates of domestic violence and those impacted by domestic violence are far broader reaching than I think uh, anyone really fully understands. And that says to me that we need to be talking about this issue more. Especially, I mean, as we were talking about just a a moment ago, is the idea that these are a couple of the higher profile and more um, extreme situations, but at the same time, there are so many other cases that are going unreported or unnoticed or, or not being talked about. Exactly. And one of the things I think we really need to recognize is that most people who are experiencing domestic violence, whether they're perpetrating or whether they're a victim of domestic violence, first talk about it to friends and family members. And that we as community members are um, in the best position to actually support someone who has experienced domestic violence through recognizing what's going on, making sure that we respond appropriately when they tell us, and then really help them to get to the right services and resources so that they can get the help that they need. Amazing numbers when you look at it. I mean, 18,500 domestic violence related calls in Calgary just last year. When you do the math just on a per day basis, that is something that should probably open up a lot of eyes. Absolutely. And those phone calls to police are just the tip of the iceberg. Most people who experience domestic violence never call the police. And so um, I that 18,500 number actually um, is much, much larger in terms of those people in our city right now who are suffering from domestic violence and need help and support. Talk a little bit about the warning signs for those who uh, might be worried or are looking around at their friendships, their own relationships, their fam- the, the people that they have in their own lives. I mean, they, they may be not willfully blind, but they may not realize that there's there's something going on behind the scenes. So I think um, one of the most important things to recognize if you are someone who thinks that you might be in a domestic violence relationship is to recognize um, what I call the fear factor. Are you afraid of your partner? Are you afraid in your home? Are you afraid to speak up and express um, your opinion or uh, to express the things that you need? And so I think that that's one of the best ways to identify it because I actually think that domestic violence is a pattern of coercive control where there's a whole series of events that are every from um, words and um, emotional abuse to psychological abuse to physical abuse um, to spiritual abuse, financial abuse, sexual abuse. It can be any one of those things or a whole cascade of those events. And so the warning signs are actually looking um, to recognize more if you feel like you're uh, fearful in the relationship that you're in or you 
uh, see one of your friends or family members are fearful of the partner that they're with. Um, and if they, it seems like they're being coercively controlled into the situation that they're in. Um, we often talk about the easy signs to see if you have a fr- friend or family member, like they're constantly canceling um, plans with you uh, or they're uh, afraid to experience express the opinions of what it is that they want or need. Um, And of course, if you're someone who is in a profession where you see someone's, uh, you know, body and bruises on a regular basis, those are also great signs. But it's really about a pattern of coercive control. How do you convince someone who might be hinting that there's something going on or you're being hinted at that something's going on, but you don't want to be the one to poke your nose in someone else's business as the saying always goes? So I think you ask a great question because I think so many people feel exactly that way, that it's not their job to poke their nose into someone else's business. And I would suggest that if someone is hinting at the fact that they're in a relationship that feels violent or unhealthy to them, and or if they're reaching out to you, it's because they want you to say to them, are you okay? Is something going on? I'm worried about you. It seems like you're in a relationship that's not healthy. And so I would suggest that there is no such thing as it's not your business to poke your nose because I think that is exactly our responsibility, especially when people drop hints. When it comes to those situations where uh, it, it seems as though it, it appears the, the person responsible for the violence is, is, is uh, being you know, physically violent in that, how important is it to, um, to get ahead of the curve, get ahead of the situation uh, before it escalates even further? Because there's, there's that, uh, no, uh, that notion, I guess, out there that uh, you don't want to intervene because you yourself don't want to get hurt. Right. And so I think that, of course, our individual safety is something that we always have to look out for. Um, And I think that one of the most powerful tools is we can pick up the phone and call 911. We have an amazing domestic conflict unit here in Calgary, an amazing police response, and they know what to do when there's a domestic violence incident. And so I think that if you are fearful for your own safety or for the safety of a friend or a family member, the thing to do is to pick up the phone and call the police. One of the other things that I took away from these latest two incidents is it knows no bounds, gender-wise either. In one case, you have uh, the well-publicized case of Jasmine and her daughter, Aaliyah. Um, on the flip side, you also have uh, a woman charged in the death of, uh, of a male. Again, another domestic-related situation, but yet it's, it knows no bounds in terms of the, uh, who is the aggressor in either case. You know, we know that domestic violence knows no bounds. It has no socioeconomic bounds. It has no bounds around um, where you come from. Uh, We also know that uh, it has no bounds in terms of uh, the gender of who could be the perpetrator and who could be the victim. Although we know that in the majority of the cases, um, especially those that have high, high violence, that the perpetrator is a male and the victim is a woman, we also know that there are definitely males who experience domestic violence and we see them all the time in our agency. As well, there are a lot of non-binary folk out there who experience domestic violence. And so I think that we need to talk about it not in terms of a binary, and we need to talk about it in terms of disrupting the cycles of violence for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and not only that, but also getting the, the services in place and getting those resources in place. And I mean, there are a number of uh, community associations that are able to help. Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the powerful things that we have here in Calgary is we have a one-stop shop, which is a line that you can call that will refer you to every other resource that's out there. Because we know that one of the hardest things is being in an abusive relationship. And one of uh, the things that 
is even harder is to actually make that first call to get help. And so we want to make it as easy as possible by having a one-stop line. An important topic to be certain. Andrea, thanks so much for the time today. Thank you very much for talking about this issue. She talked about that one-stop shop phone number that you can use. It is 403-234-7233 if you want to remember it a little easier. It's 403-234-SAFE. If you know someone or if you are involved in uh, spousal abuse, domestic abuse, uh, again, one of those topics of conversation. It's not a comfy one, but one that needs to be had, uh, especially in light of these latest two homicide cases here in our city. You've heard this story through the course of the day in the news. It's believed to be the first time an Alberta brewery has been acquired by a much larger national player. Wildrose Brewery, has, uh, which was started by two home brewers in 1996, announcing today shareholders have approved its sale to Sleeman. Joining us now on the program is Wildrose President and CEO Bill McKenzie. Bill, thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for having me and uh, look forward to talking to you. Talk a little bit about those feelings that you're going through right now, because it's a, it is a big day. It's a big, uh, big step and, and a new chapter, I suppose, in, in the world of Wild Rose Brewery. Well, yeah, it's uh, definitely been uh, uh, a you know big day today, but just over the last year of getting here. Um, how am I feeling? Excited? Absolutely, very excited. Uh, a bit relieved now that we can start talking about it. Mm-hmm. And anxious to get going on on what our new world's going to look like. What do you envision that new world to look like? Very, very similar to the world that we uh, are in right now. However, with a partner and a backer who has uh, a, you know a lot of faith, a lot of trust in us, uh, that only just wants to help us get a bit better. Is there a hope that you can take this international now? Is that kind of at the, the heart of, of joining forces with Sleeman? It wasn't the heart of it. Um, distribution opportunities will be dealt with when we, when, when, when we, I guess when we get there. The, um, the immediate opportunity right now is to continue growing here in Alberta. There's a ton of opportunity. This is a province that loves beer. And uh, and we're just a small, small part of that right now. So there's a lot of runway ahead of Wild Rose uh, to expand and to grow and, and just to keep getting better in Alberta. And then if opportunities come up from other provinces or outside of the country, we're going to address those opportunities when we get there. It is amazing to see how the industry here in Alberta has really changed. I mean, you guys have been in business since 1996, but beyond that is you look at the explosion of the beer scene here. And I was going through a tour of, of one of the facilities not too long ago, and they said it only made sense given that we have world-class barley being grown here. So talk a little bit about what you've seen and what the company has seen over the last, you know, 23 plus years and, and what where you see this industry going here. Oh man, the industry's changed so much over the last, as you mentioned, 22 years. Uh, and then here in Alberta, so much more in the last five years when, uh, we've gone from when we opened up our, uh, 72nd Avenue brewery with 12 breweries in the province to over a hundred. Um, that's awesome. The, uh, the beer consumer in Alberta, I don't think it's ever been better as far as the beers being offered, the quality beer coming out of this province right now. It's never been this good, and it just doesn't seem to be uh, letting up at all. The um, the other thing that I'm seeing more, and which me being in this business for 30 years, that I'm more excited about is just how community has come back 
it's being so important in the beer industry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, by saying that, what I mean is that all, you know, to be successful in beer, you have to be a member of the community. You have to support your community. And what I'm seeing now is this, with some of the new brewers, their community could be as small as their postal code. Some could be their town. Some could be their city. Uh, very fortunate with Wild Rose, our community is, is the province. And uh, for us to stay involved and be involved with this province is with it with you know with the entire province is a huge opportunity for us and you talk about that opportunity what do you see or how do you see the next five ten twenty years down the road developing for wild rose i'm not sure yet i, I if if we keep doing what we're doing here now and 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 grow uh by delivering high quality unique delicious beer uh we keep you know employing not only the numbers, but the type of people that we employ, which I think is the best in the league, we're just going to continue to grow. And it's interesting and exciting to see where we end up. And I kind of joked a little bit before we, uh, before we hit the air was as long as you guys don't get rid of the wild rose raspberry, I am good with this. And by the sounds of it, there's no plans on scaling anything back and it's going to be all expansion in your guys' books. I appreciate that, and and, and no, uh, those aren't going to be changes. And why would we? Uh, and my brewers will kill me. So uh, the uh, the beer that uh, that our team uh, continue to come up with, the, the, the different brands, uh, and as long as well as our core brands, it's just it's exciting. Very excited for you guys. Uh, thank you so much, Bill, for for joining us, and uh, all the best in the the new partnership that you guys have. I really appreciate having the call with you today, and, and thank you very much for uh, for the kind words. I raise a glass to ye, all you beer lovers and beer makers here in this province. Not only do I want a little bit of rain over the next little while for our farming friends, but I also think that those in the mountains wouldn't mind having a little bit of rain, not just for the lushness, but also to keep things a little damp this summer. So we don't see like what we've seen in the last few summers, all the smoke and everything else, the fires that have put homes in danger, all that kind of thing. And so that, I think, is a big reason why we're seeing what we're seeing in Banff coming up tomorrow as part of the Banff Fire Smart Program. Homeowners, residents being asked to reduce the wildfire risk by cleaning up yard debris, branches, that kind of thing around their own homes. Banff Fire Chief Silvio Adamo joins us now in the program to give us a little bit more insight into what's going on. Silvio, thanks so much for the time today. Oh, you're welcome, Joe. Happy to be on your show. Let's walk through what's going to be happening tomorrow in Banff and what you're hoping residents uh, take some time to do. So tomorrow is our first uh, and hopefully annual uh wildfire cleanup day we call chipping day um, and we encourage homeowners uh, to get out in their yards and uh, clean up and make their properties more fire smart and uh, what I mean by that is that they're cleaning up dead leaves and trimming any dry grass um, they are looking at primarily at their first meter and a half of around their structure and we we try to encourage uh, people to make sure that that's a combustible free zone. So, you know, wood chips and wood piled up against it, uh, long, tall, dry grass, uh, those types of materials. We want to encourage folks to get that away from their structures and then look outwards of the next, uh, you know, from their, their structure to 10 meters out, where if you have conifers in your yard um, that you are 
cleaning those up, uh, limbing them about a meter or two, dependent on uh, the size of the tree. We never want to take more than a third of a tree's uh, limbs off. Uh, not healthy for the tree. Um, but essentially making their, their home uh, a little bit more fireproof when embers start flying into their uh, yards from a wildfire that's coming into the community um, so that uh, their structure doesn't ignite. So that's the big push uh, for tomorrow. Talk a little bit about the, that one and a half meters that you alluded to, closer to closest to your home and why that's such an important distance. Well, you know, we call that in FireSmart Zone 1A, and, and that is it, obviously the closer fire is to a structure where there's all kinds of combust materials, whether it's uh, siding, um, things like that, that are rate, obviously how your con- home is constructed, uh, vinyl siding included. Um, if there's flames and, and there's fire in that one and a half meter zone, then there's a far greater chance of your structure starting on fire. Um, and the, and the, the conifer tree thing as well, if you can remove conifer trees within that area, because if they start on fire, uh, they're going to burn up into your home, either get in through a window or in through your eaves uh, in your roof, and, uh, and that's going to take out your structure and potentially your neighbor's structure in a whole neighborhood if, if possible. And that's what we see in big wildfires when one structure starts, uh, you know, structures start on either side and it becomes a really big fire to put out. You mentioned this is the first time you guys are doing this, and I'm wondering what led to you deciding that this is a way to go and get the community involved. Was it something that uh, you saw being done elsewhere, or was there was there something else that had happened over the last few years that kind of made you go that something different needs to happen? Well, no, we've been we've been working on FireSmart since 2003 in our community here in Banff, and we've got to the point where we've, we've uh, developed comprehensive plans. We exercise, we have good mutual aid agreements. We've uh, pushed a lot of education and we've fire smarted our own town properties. And now it's time to engage our residents uh, and make sure that their properties are fire smart. And we're getting, uh, we, we in- implemented uh, last year a program through fire smart Canada called the community champions program. And, uh, been super well received we've got now six uh, and a seventh community so these are smaller neighborhoods within our municipality they get together sort of in a geographical neighborhood and they create their own fire smart boards uh, and then they they put a plan together to help mitigate the entire neighborhood and they and through peer pressure and neighborly uh, persuasion we get uh, a whole neighborhood thinking and doing fire smart on their properties and so we've we're going out and supporting those neighborhoods that are all doing that uh, this weekend it's because to be part of that program, you have to organize a, a day of uh, cleanup and doing something within that neighborhood. So tomorrow we've got six neighborhoods that, are, uh, that have been recognized by FireSmart Canada in the 7th that's just working on it right now. And so those neighborhoods are getting out there and we're also encouraging other homeowners that haven't got involved in a neighborhood program to go out and do their uh, landscape. But it is, uh, it's something that uh, it's been on our books. So, and it's an important factor that we're at in our fire smart program now to uh, get folks to get out there and clean up their yards.
Well, and especially given, I mean, the Kenai wildfire is still uh, fresh in a lot of people's minds. Everybody need all doesn't need to look very far in terms of the the number of fires that we've seen in our neck of the woods over the last uh, number of years here. Uh, so it begs the question: Is heading in? I know it's a little early in the season still, but what do you have any expectations yet on what the fire season might be looking like as as we head towards camping season and and just the summer overall? Well, you know, I mean, if we're, we're seeing this trend of these extreme weather patterns and our, our fire science folks uh, that are modeling uh, this type of thing and looking at climate and looking at climate change and the age and, and growth and the density of forests, um, you know, they're predicting that this is going to be the new norm for the next little while anyway, as far as anyone can predict. So um, I'm going to hope for the absolute best, but uh, I, we have to prepare for the worst. And if we do, then uh, if something comes down the valley, then we are uh, ready to deal with it. Absolutely. Silvio, I do appreciate the time this afternoon. All the best with your event this weekend. Thank you very much, Joe. You have a great day. You as well. BAMP Fire Chief Silvio Adamo joining us in the program as he gears up for tomorrow's Wildfire Hazards Cleanup Day in BAMF. Turning our attention now to some of the, the cool events that happen inside our city that might not be on your radar, but maybe you might want to check out and see what all the buzz is about. It's called Flat Track Fever. It's the eighth annual here in Calgary, and it is the roller derby community coming together. Jim Bourne is president of Chinook City Roller Derby, and Jim joins us now on the program. Uh, thanks so much for the time today. Talk a little bit about flat track fever. I mean, this is eight years going strong now in this city. Yeah. So this is our eighth year, as you said, of flat track fever. Uh, it's a three-day roller derby tournament. It's the largest tournament in Alberta. Um, probably one of the largest tournaments in Canada as well. Uh, we have teams here from uh, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and a team from Hawaii. Incredible. Which is kind of cool. Uh, we have... Um, Women's games and mixed genders games this weekend. Um, there are uh, some games that are sanctioned by WFTDA. That's the Women's Flat Trap Roller Derby Association, and uh, some games that are uh, they're just fun to play, like the uh, like the mixed gender games. Um, mixed gender. We have a team from Edmonton, from here in Calgary, from Port McMurray, and from Saskatoon. So for those who've never actually been to a roller derby tournament, talk us through a typical matchup and what the goal is, because I think a lot of people see them skating around, but they're not necessarily knowing what, what's happening here, and is it a relay or that kind of thing. So just walk us through the, the basics of the sport. So each team has five skaters on the track. There are four blockers and a jammer. Um, obviously, uh, as long as they're not penalized and in the penalty box, uh, they're, they're fielded at the beginning of the jam. The goal of the game is for your jammer to lap the pack. So the pack is the largest group of skaters uh, with skaters from both teams in it on the track. And for each opposing blocker that the jammer passes, they score one point. Uh, the first jammer that exits the front of the pack legally and inbounds gets uh, the privilege of having lead jam. And lead jam allows them to preemptively call off the jam early. Jams are normally two minutes long. 
Um, but if a jammer gets lead jam, maybe they're maybe they're only ten or twenty feet ahead of the other jammer, or the opposing jammer. They will go into the pack, scores at least you know a couple of points, and then they'll call it off so that the opposing jammer can't score any points. Right. So it's a, it's it's a way to control the end of the jam. Um, and that's in a nutshell how it works. The blockers obviously are there to stop the opposing jammer, but they have a dual job of having to help their jammer get out too and play offense. So it's a very fast changing game. Um, teams will go from offense to defense to offense very quickly. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I play as well. I'm on the uh, local men's team here, the Glenmore Reservoir Dogs. Um, and uh, I'm also on the uh, Natural Born Thrillers, who is the uh, the uh, mixed gender team for Chinook City Roller Derby League. It's so funny. I got to ask the question now: is is what is your name? My derby name is Dev Null. Dev Null. Um, Dev Null. So I have been a Unix admin for about 25 years, and um, on a Unix system, pretty much. All devices are uh, are represented as files in the file system. Right. So, you know, like on your Windows computer, you've got a Word doc. Uh, well, dev null is a special file that you can put output from a program into, and it just the output just disappears. Right. So, yeah. It's funny how the the names get so creative, and there's a lot of thought that's uh, put in not only to the names, but also to the gameplay itself. I mean, there's a lot of communication that's going on. Like you said, it's a fast-moving game. Yeah, it's it's an incredibly fast-moving game. Um, when you get into um, higher levels, like tomorrow night's uh, Evil versus CRD All Stars, which is um, which is the WFTDA, I believe they're Div Two, possibly uh, lower Div One, um, but they're they're ranked. Both teams are ranked in the 40s of WFTDA, which WFTDA has. Uh, I'm not sure. I think it's between 750 and 1,000. Uh, leagues worldwide, and so there's a lot of a lot of teams there, and they're ranked in the uh, in the 40s, and they're very close together. And I, I've talked to a couple people today who really don't know who's going to win out of that game. So it's going to be a lot of fun. You talked a little bit about uh, the growth of the sport. I wanted to expand on that a little bit. And what are you guys seeing on an anecdotal basis? Yeah, so um, eight years ago we started at the Oval. Uh, it was. Um, kind of a, a test. We wanted to see if we could do a tournament here. Um, <clears throat> the second year we also had at the Oval, and then we've moved around a little bit, but I think the last four years have been here at uh, the EAK Acadia Rec Complex. Um, growth of the sport in those t- in that time, it's it's been kind of interesting um, because it grows kind of in, you know, little bursts here and there. Um, especially in the men's side, but also on the women's side, where you'll have recruiting and sometimes recruiting doesn't go so well, sometimes it goes really well. Mm-hmm. So you tend to, it, it, it is a growing sport for sure. Um, some places it, it's growing more than others, but um, here, in, here in Alberta and here in Calgary, um, it's been fairly static actually because of the because of the coming and going of of skaters. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for the time today, uh, Jim. I do appreciate it and all the best yeah. in the uh in the fever this weekend. Oh, thanks a lot. It's um we go from 9 in the morning till uh tonight at 9 p.m. we have a roller disco, 
uh, hosted by Calgary Roller Skate. Um, tomorrow, 9 till, um, I believe the last game is going to finish about 10.30. And like I said, that's the Evil versus CRD All-Stars, which is going to be a barn burner. Mm. And on Sunday, we go from 9 uh, a.m. until I think the last game finishes about 8.30 p.m. Um, oh, I didn't mention the hosts of the event are Schnook City Roller Derby League. That's who I'm with. And uh, CRD, the Calgary Roller Derby Association, um, we're both co-hosts this year, and uh, it's it's been a lot of fun working with the other league in the uh, in the city. Flat Track Fever again. You can go to flattrackfever.com for more information. Jim Bourne, aka Dev Null, who will be taking part in Flat Track Fever. I wanted to end the show. Uh, we talked to Deb a little bit earlier on about the YYC Five and some of the best brunches that you can have around the city. And just to give you a bit of a, a rundown on the top five that we saw, and then I'll get to your texts in a second. Uh, number one, Tim's Cafe. Not Tim's as in, you know, Tim Horton's, but there is a Tim's Cafe here in town. You got Fort Calgary, their breakfast, their legendary Mother's Day brunch. You can also go to the Calgary Zoo where you can get the kids uh, involved as well. Monkey Breakfast Club and Bistro and OEB Breakfast. If you want more on that, uh, go to my Twitter account, uh, account at Calgary today. I posted the link a little while ago. Going over to the text line, 403-974-8255 for some of your favorite text, uh, favorite text, favorite brunch places. Uh, Christian weighs in with Cora's Calgary at 130th, the Whistle Stop in High River, and Chuck Wagon Cafe in Turner Valley. He also said Ben and Florentine in Montreal. I have to say, we actually, in November, we went to Montreal. Yeah, we ended up going because we had heard that it was a great place. Yeah, definitely. Ugh. So good. Uh, a couple of other places to go if you're going out of town. Strathmore Station and the Roadhouse in Strathmore. I can attest to that one. Checked out the uh, breakfast buffet at the station. So good. And also, a couple. I think I got a hometown texter here, Denise, texting and saying, Roy's Place in Claire's Home. They've got a huge cinnamon bun topped with cream cheese icing. It was on You Gotta Eat Here, I think, was the name of the place. I uh, that cinnamon bun I can say is legit and I also have diabetes but that's a different story no it's related it's Calgary today on 770 CHQR your favorite places to go for brunch I might squeeze a couple more in before the end of the show thanks so much for listening to the Calgary Today podcast you can find it on iTunes Google Play and tune in when you do don't forget to write the show and leave a comment until next time my friends <laughs>